nothing like a little CrossFit workout to get started a sermon here, lifting this uh, 75 pound. This, if you want a good workout, you can help us carry it around. It really is pretty substantial. But I think I know the reason why this stage is up here. A lot of the people don't know. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you. So uh, last night, uh, the Methodist Church in Conchac, in the United Methodist Church, who, who hosted us the first three years of our existence, they, they hosted our church, we met in the evening, they celebrated their 175th anniversary. Isn't that incredible? 175 years. And I'm like, well, we've got nine under our belt. That's pretty good. But hey, they're using the space, and I think they used the stage and celebrated, so that was cool. So Dave, who works here um, at CYTO, PHR, Phil, he let me know. So it was just exciting. So we want to congratulate them. Uh, maybe we can pray about them for, or for them in a second. Uh, but uh, we've, yeah, we've been around about nine years, for those of you who are new, and they have just been generous hosts. So, so thankful for them. So we can celebrate them by standing on the same stage as them, I guess. So we're all worshiping together as one uh, happy family, uh, the body of Christ in our area. So it's, that's exciting. But uh, anyway, I just got back. I hope you guys have had a good week. I just got back with some of the staff and pastors from all around our region, from the eastern region, uh, a conference uh, up in North Jersey. Uh, uh, there's a vineyard church up there in North Jersey called the North Jersey Vineyard, uh, aptly named. And uh, we got to eat some New York City bagels. Has anyone had any New York bagels? They are the best, the best. So if you're from New York, North Jersey, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, just imagine like chewy doughiness that just continues to linger in your mouth for hours and hours after you've eaten it. And it just is so delicious, the, the buttery goodness and the taste of particularly those cinnamon raisin bagels. So good. So good. So anyway, I, they're unmatched in all of the world. Um, and so I would recommend going up there. If anyone wants to volunteer for our hospitality ministry to drive up to North Jersey to get them, please do. I'd, I'd be very uh, welcoming of that uh, new ministry in our church. But um, we, uh, the, we went to visit a, a, the church up there, the North Jersey Vineyard, in order to uh, be part of the conference for, for the leaders and the pastors called Navigating the Culture. That was the, the theme of this conference. And they dealt with all of the big issues uh, dealing with today. Sort of took a big picture perspective. Um, things like race issues um, or politics or uh, issues of sexuality. And in fact, that's what uh, we're going to be talking about today, that theme. I learned something this week really interesting is that our exposure to sexual messaging is starting earlier and earlier and earlier uh, today in our modern culture, particularly with our exposure to uh, what's on the internet. So uh, I, I recently read a stat. So there's a, this was a study by Jiminy. I don't know, have anyone heard of that app? But anyway, they look at statistics of how people use their cell phones. They found that one out of seven kids at 10 years old are exposed to sexual mess- blatant sexual messaging at the age of 10. And then just a couple years later, when you get to the 13, it's almost half. I think it's 40 or so percent of children have been exposed to explicit things on the internet. And then, of course, as you go up, uh, you know, as you get older, it's, it gets close to probably 100%. If you're living in modern culture, it's, it's pretty hard to, uh, to avoid. And of course, as I was driving up to North Jersey, the vineyard, uh, to the vineyard up there, on the billboards, there's, there's advertisements uh, about some sexual convention that was happening called Erotica 2023. Uh, uh, or maybe, no, it wasn't Erotica, it was Exotica, sorry. But it's everywhere, right? 
You got to, yeah, just, just want to make sure you get the details in there. But, uh, you know, it, wherever you go, right? Magazines, uh, TV, uh, in our public school, so my kids, I'm not going to get into the details of that. That's a whole another discussion. They're teaching sex ed and sexuality in different ways. They just changed the curriculum. And let's just say, just for, to keep things short, it's a significant departure from what has been and certainly different from a biblical understanding, worldview of what uh, sex and sexuality is all about. It's no matter where you go, whether it's in school or at work or in conversations that we have, um, it's certainly a huge issue. And it's something that's expressed, uh, like the, the sexual expression or what's behind that, which is uh, called expressive individualism, that's expressed in our sexuality, is uh, a big part of our culture, basically a core value of what we believe. So if aliens came from outer space, and kind of looked at what we celebrated and talked about and, and discussed, this would probably be one of the top things. They said, oh, these, this is really important to these guys. But each of us, no matter who we are, no matter how old we are, particularly as we age, are exposed to sexuality in different ways and sexual temptation. This is something we live in. We swim in it very normal. Um, if you're a married person, you, you experience the temptation to fantasize about another person. There's, there's lots of uh, opportunities to do so. It's, they're galore. Whether you're going online or you're just living as a person, temptation, sexual temptation is a very real thing. And, if you, and, if you, and to, to especially to maybe engage in some kind of activity that wouldn't be honoring of your spouse. Um, you know, as I'm walking through the grocery store, as I'm on the internet, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of opportunities here to not be faithful to my wife, and I need to remember what, what God, God's heart for me is in those moments. And then if you're, if you're not married, of course, there's pressure. It's, it's very easy. It's very easy to, to sleep with whoever, whoever you want to, your boyfriend or girlfriend. You may be pressured to sleep with them. You may be experiencing the temptation um, almost on a day-to-day basis, and I certainly have. I'll share a little bit more about my story. I certainly understand that and the pressures that we all face. Uh, but as we talk about this topic, this, this topic of uh, sexuality in our culture today, uh, and this was slightly addressed at the conference, but not, uh, not directly, there's basically two ways that um, we can respond. As people of faith, there's been basically two kinds of response to this cultural phenomenon. One is that we can be combative, meaning we can engage in a culture war, and there's Christians who believe that if we just beat people over with the truth and we, we, we make all the right rules and, and we say the right things and do the right things and, and kind of it, it could even use shame or criticism or condemnation to, to make people uh, think or feel differently than they do, that somehow that's going to bring some kind of transformation to society. The Pharisees used this, tech, uh, this kind, of, kind of approach, this combative approach. They were, it was us versus them. And certainly, that is not the approach that Jesus had whatsoever. That was certainly an unloving approach. And the main, one of the main things that Jesus said to do was what? To love, love people, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so an unloving approach is clearly not what God desired. So there's the combative approach, and maybe you've seen that. The other approach is, would be a compromising approach, where you just say, well, you know, if it's trending on TikTok, then it's got to be right for me to do, right? And so it, someone else is doing it. They say I should do it. I should just engage in that, that thing as well. And that, Teresa spoke a little bit about that. And God speaks often in his word about not compromising on his truth and what he desires for, for each of our lives, particularly in the area of sexuality. And when we do that, when we compromise on what God says 
And again, uh, referencing last week what Teresa talked about, when we compromise, it, it leads to brokenness in our relationship with God and our relationship with people. I'll give you one example. Hookup culture, right? It's kind of like I can just have sex with as many people as I want to all the time. You know, I just go through my Tinder and, okay, we'll I'll have another sexual experience here. But what that does is it damages your ability to have intimate relationships with people. In fact, what was seen as this expression of freedom becomes, becomes bondage. It becomes something that leads to brokenness and emptiness, and we find ourselves empty. In fact, what God invites us into, his way, is ultimately the way of life that brings about transformation. It is the, the way that he designed so that we can experience the fullness of sex, the fullness of family life, the fullness of um, being an individual, to even being a, a person who's not married, to live the whole life. You don't have to, Jesus, as a single person, lived the perfect life. And so as we discuss and we look at these two different ways, perhaps there's a, there's a third way that we can look at, and that's, that's the way of Jesus, the way an approach to sexual ethics that is both full of love and full of truth. It's full of truth and full of grace. It's, it's the Jesus way, which a way that I would call com- compassionate conviction. And that's our approach. In our approach in our church, uh, no matter what your sexual experiences is, your identity is, or what you, what you practice, or whatever it is, Jesus has compassion, and he has a conviction of what's good for your soul. And you're invited in our church. We like, to, we like to say, come as you are and be restored. And so the invitation for everyone, no matter what your past is, no matter what your present is, no matter what, where your experience has brought you, the invitation is here to come as you are and be restored in the presence of God. So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in and look at uh, this, uh, this interesting verse, very interesting verse, or section of verses in the mystery in, in, the, in the book of Revelation. So let's pray. So Holy Spirit, we pray. I pray that you would, in this very um, hot-button topic of the day, this very um, uh, challenging in many ways, that, that intersects and uh, impacts each of our lives um, in different ways, whether... Uh, we've experienced things that have been difficult or we've just been not known of what, what your desire is for our lives. I pray for a healthy wholeness, a compassionate conviction in regards to our sexuality and how we express our sexual ethics as a, as a church and as individuals, no matter what, where we are in our journey. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would uh, reveal more of your love and your truth to us. And thank you, God, for, we want to also just say a blessing on the, the church, the Conchock United Methodist Church. Thank you for their hosting our church, and we pray many blessings. We pray for 175 more years uh, on them that, that would be fruitful and full of your joy and your presence as they worship and, and make an impact on this, uh, this, this town, Conchock. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, cool. So, the sermon series we're in, it's called The Mystery of Revelation because what we're doing is we're studying the, the book of Revelation, which is full of, full of mysteries about a lot of different things, but ultimately it's a picture above who Jesus is. That's what Revelation is about. It's a picture of unveiling who the person of Jesus is and his plans for the world and his plans for humanity. And uh, today, the reason we talked about the issue of sexuality because he's going to be addressing a church that was sexually compromised. That was the main thing that he was identifying in, in their community. And so I'll tell you in advance, some of these words, 
they might be, sound a little bit shocking. So I just want to give you a little heads up there. Some of the things that he says might sound uh, a little bit uh, out of the way that people uh, generally speak today. I'll put it that way. But it's the longest letter to all of the churches, and it's right in the middle. And these, these were letters or little messages. They're written as a letter that went to these house churches. And each of the letters were a specific message to that particular church in that particular time. But they were also a message to all of the churches. So having it solidify right in the middle there as the longest churches to um, this one church meant that it was a message to all of the churches. So today's, uh, the title of today's message is called uh, Sex and the Holy City. Uh, which you might see as a different reference to something. But anyway, but let's take a, a, a jump into this scripture in Revelation chapter 2. If you want to follow along, it looks like the right-hand side of the, uh, the room got the tables with the Bibles, and the left-hand side maybe didn't so much. You have one. So if you'd like to follow along, we're going to be at the end of your Bible, Revelation chapter 2. If you like to, I just encourage people sometimes to look at the whole unit, because I, I just put in the parts, so what I'm going to do is expositionally just uh, explain piece by piece uh, what the scripture is, uh, is describing here. So, Revelation 2, verse 18, let's take a look. To the angel of the church of Thyatira, write this. So, Thyatira. Thyatira was a town, it wasn't as well known, so to understand what was happening in this, uh, the, this town that it was speaking to, it was a town that was not as well known or as established or as famous as the other towns, like Ephesus, for example, which, which was uh, one of the epicenters, the, the commercial and spiritual epicenters of the Roman Empire of ancient Asia during that time. But this town was known for its trades, for instance, the copper trade and, and the, um, the clothing trade the dying of clothes. So if you're familiar, some of you are familiar, I've read the book of Acts. There's a woman named Lydia. Lydia, that woman who was a woman of God, a woman who came to faith and was a leader in the, the, the church at the time. Woman came, she was a woman from the town of uh, Thyatira. And in this town, she had, she had um, some significant influence. And she was, again, she was a woman of hospitality. You can read more about that in Acts 16. But this town was known for its smelting of copper, particularly, of copper and bronze. So what that does is it gives us kind of an understanding of what he's going to about to say next. But there was a, a local de a deity uh, that was part of that town, okay? And that was uh, Apollo Tyrmnius. And he, this, this deity was printed on the coin. And the coins would show this, this printing of this, this god figure along with the title Son of God, that referred to the Roman emperor. So the, the Roman emperor was known and promoted himself as the son of God. And so Jesus, knowing this very well, says this to the church. So let's take a look. Uh, next word. These are the words of the son of God. So, you know, Ohio State fans like to say the Ohio State, right? So Jesus is saying the Son of God. Okay, you guys, I know some of you guys out there are happy about that. I'm a Penn State fan, by the way, so I'm a little sad. But congratulations, Ohio State, for winning yesterday. Um, but the Son of God is what he's saying, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. And so Jesus is saying, listen, you want to know who the Son of God is? 
I'm the true son of God. And you want to know where the true fire and the power resides? Not in, in your trades and not in this uh, copper refining and all the bronze refining. It's, it's certainly in me. And so Jesus is using a cultural image to help them understand the nature of who he is. And if you're familiar with biblical imagery, fire is representative of God's holiness, his, his separateness, his perfection, his power, how he is unlike any other. And he has this power to burn away the, the impurities. And that is the nature of what God is like. And so he is unlike anything or anyone uh, in really the entire universe. And so in, in, in Revelation chapter 4, if you look a few verse or a few chapters ahead, uh, there are these creatures that surround the throne of God. And there are these, these creatures are very, uh, I mean, they're, they're otherworldly. They're, they're in themselves, you would say, they're, they're holy to some degree. But these creatures, these great uh, figures that surround God's throne, part of most likely the divine council, they surround the throne of God and they day and night, they shout praise to the Lord. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is and was and is to come. And so the major theme in the book of Revelation, if we understand who God is and who Jesus is, is that he is this utterly set apart unlike anyone in the entire cosmos. He is holy. And that's the nature of who God is. And this is what Jesus is doing, using imagery to display to the church in Thyatira. And we are to worship him and him alone and no one else is like him. So the Roman governor. And this, would, this is the kind of thing that would get them persecuted. The local Believers, followers of Jesus, would not participate in Roman worshiping the Roman emperor as God because Jesus was God. And that caused them lots of trouble. But Jesus was, again, emphasizing this in this, in this image. So let's continue on. Verse 19, and this is what he says. So this is what he has. So that's the setup. And that's how Jesus is presenting himself. And this is now what he says. He starts off with something very encouraging. He says, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service, your perseverance, and that you're now doing more than you did at first. So their faith is being expressed in all these great practical ways. They're serving one another. They're loving one another. They're persevering. Um, we have a membership class today, kind of to let the cat out of the bag. What we do as members, there's four basic commitments as, as a member. Worship together, connect together, serve together, and grow together. Those are some very general. But they were doing three out of the four pretty well. So they were actually engaging in in, in community and doing well and persevering. But there is one thing that was a problem. Okay, so now listen to what Jesus has to say. So he kind of drops the hammer a little bit. He says in uh, chapter 2, verse 20, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So Jezebel is a woman. So in, in, in the book of uh, Kings, the first Kings, if you read chapter 16 to 22 in the Old Testament, she, she was the wife of King Ahab. And they married as an alliance, uh, a political alliance. And she brought these Canaanite worship practices into the community. And so she's representative of um, prostitution both on a physical level and on a spiritual level. And all of this wickedness began to infiltrate the community. And God sent Elijah, the prophet, to tell them to stop doing what they were doing. In fact, he gave them uh, warning after warning 
But as the story goes, it ended up pretty bad for Jezebel. She ended up getting thrown out a window and eaten by dogs. Okay, so if you're interested in reading that story, help yourself. It's, it is a gruesome story, but it shows the progression of what happens as people persistently rebel against God and his. And so they're led into this worship of Baal or Baal, and, um, and it doesn't work out for God's people. So what Jesus is doing is he's using this image of Jezebel as an illustration that the people, the Jewish people communities understood as a representation of the kind of person that Jezebel was. So this wasn't the original Jezebel. It, it was, this, he was, Jesus was referring to a woman, particularly, as we see in here, as someone who had a gift of prophetic gift that were, was using her spiritual influence to uh, inculcate or to influence the people of God to go then start the, the kind of pagan practices that they did back, uh, you know, that they've done for actually thousands and thousands of years. And so one of the characteristics of pagan um, worship were, were the, was uh, temple prostitution. In order to... Uh, gained favor with the fertility gods and goddesses, what they would do is they would engage in, in sex at the temple in order to promote the fertility of their, their crops. And so the people of God were doing this as an act of worship. And that's a pattern that you see, is that sexual license is an aspect of uh, Canaanite or pagan worship that continued all throughout the history of God's people and even, even to today as well. And it's interesting, he talks about the, the food uh, what, what happened there is that the, at these temples, they were set up basically like restaurants. So they would sacrifice, make these idol sacrifices. They would sacrifice an animal to the, to the local deity, and they would serve them to the people. And the trade guilds, the people working in the copper mines or doing the refining, would eat together as part of their socialization. So this was where community life happened. It happened in business. It happened at the temple. So for a believer to not eat at the temple, and by the way, all of this, all these sexual practices were happening all at the same time. And so for a believer to disengage would invite upon themselves persecution. It would invite upon themselves um, social pressure to be able to do what they were doing. But they would say, no, we, we just can't do this. I can't, I can't compromise on what God's called us to do. And it's difficult today, even for the same way. I mean, in, our, in some of our local businesses, where, uh, there, or in our conversations at school, or in our conversations at work, there is a high amount of pressure to conform to what the standards of sexuality of the day are. And to review, refuse to, to engage in those kind of activities, or at least talk like that, um, we can be exposed to different kinds of persecution. Now, I remember in high school, in middle school, so like, this is before things were taught in high school, it's just like normal life as a young person. I remember I thought I had to make sexual jokes in order to be cool as a person. And so I, I remember specifically sitting at lunch one time in, in middle school, and I, I said something that somebody else said, like, oh, some, and it was some, something that was sexual, and they're like, oh, okay, and I was like, now I'm cool now, right? Like, just because I said this thing. And I, I remember thinking that way, but I'd also, I've spoken to, high school students who feel this way. They feel a pressure unless they're doing what everyone else does that they're going to be ostracized because of their, you know, their commitment to a different sexual ethic. It's a very, very um, normal thing. And this church, but this church in Thyatira, the point being, 
it's representative of a church that does well. It, they're committed to justice. They do really good work, and Jesus commends them for that, except there's, they're morally compromised. There's an area of their life, of their community life together, that has just been compromised to the ways of the world. And according to what Jesus says here, what we do with our sex lives really does matter. It matters to God, and it matters in our relationships with one another. And our sexual practices, as we have seen throughout the history of God's people, what God has said, and even within the pagan or Canaanite empire and what Jesus is saying here, they matter to God and really are a reflection of who, who we are, whose we are. Our sexual practices actually are a reflection of our worship. In other words, saying no to sexual sin, have you ever thought of it this way, is an act of worship. The way, what we do with our physical bodies is an act of worship, particularly in this area of sexuality. I remember um, when I was in high school, I, I was, there was a, a moment I would have been dating this girl, cute girl from, from New Jersey who made really good bagels. And um, <laughs> she, was just, she was the best. You know, that's what got me in the door, right? She's like, I'm from New Jersey. I was like, you, you like have bagels? But I, I went over her house and most of the time, right, and uncle were there when we were, so it was like a supervised thing. But this one time they had left the house, and she invited me into the bedroom. And I was like, I mean, this was like a guy, young guy's dream come true. I mean, it was like, the be- it, here it was, like, here's the best, here's the opportunity that you've been dreaming about, you know, that you've been fantasizing about. And boy, was I. I mean, it was, it was a great, but, like, I just had to tell her, I was like, you know, I'll call her Alice. You know, like, Alice, I really like you, and I love you, but I, I just can't do this. I, I can't, I can't do this. And, um, and she said something that was surprising in the moment. I always remember. She's, she said to me, actually, she said, you know, that's, that's what I love about you. And it was an interesting reaction. I didn't think she would say that because I think she had had a commitment to the same thing as well, but, you know, caught up in the moment, it's easy. And we're faced with these kind of temptations and decisions all the time. Sometimes they're bigger, but sometimes they're smaller. Whether do we decide what we think about or some, a, a conversation that we engage in that might be inappropriate. We're presented with opportunities to either stand in place of worship and what God says or choose what we want to do. And this is, this is what we all, God created as sexual beings. It's very normal behavior. It's, it's the way that the world works. But there is something different as God out of his holiness he says, well, as I am holy, be holy as well. And the question is, why? what is sexual immorality? Well, it's basically sexual activity that falls outside of marriage. That's, that's kind of a very simplistic understanding of it. But why would God say that? Why would God contextual? Where does that come from? Well, there, there are pragmatic reasons for that, but actually the true reason is theological one. I want to um, read your scripture from Revelation 21. So the, our understanding of sexuality is in fact rooted in our theology understanding of God as a holy God. So if you pull up, could you pull up that one image there? So if you look ahead, so if you look at the end of Revelation, so at the end of this book, we get this picture of Jesus and this holy city, this new Jerusalem, the people of God. It says this, there's a, he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth, and the holy city, the new Jerusalem, is coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And then as you look in the book of Revelation, one of the repeated themes is you see this comparison of two women. There's the holy city of God, the new Jerusalem, this new community that God is creating and developing that is meant to reflect his holiness 
and his glory and his goodness to people in the world. And then on the other hand, so in Revelation 17, there's this picture of what's called the prostitute of Babylon. And it says, it says this in Revelation 17, uh, this, this prostitute from Babylon intoxicates the inhabitants of the earth with her adulteries. The point is God's holiness and the reflection of who God is is beautiful to God. And as we participate, as we submit our sexuality to God, we reflect the God that we worship. Because our worship, our, our, better said, our sexuality is a reflection of the God that we worship. Our sexuality is an expression of worship and everything that we are, not, not, just, not just what we do on one day of the week, not just what we say we worship, but every aspect of our soul, our mind, our heart, our physical bodies, we use as, as part of our act of worship. In Romans 12, uh, Paul tells his people that our, the things that we do physically are spiritual acts of worship. And so we don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but we're transformed by the renewing of our, of our minds. And so what we see is sexual sin is actually a sign of people falling away from God, and sexual sin is the opposite of worshiping God in, in many ways because it's actually worshiping a different God as we follow uh, the prophets of Baal or Baal. And, and in fact, there's an interesting book uh, I recommend. If you, it's called Return of the Gods. It talks, it's actually the goddess Ishtar that is the goddess of sexuality. And there's, that's a really interesting, uh, maybe a discussion for later, but if you want to find out more details about that. But whatever your sexual practices may be, here's what Jesus wants you to know, is that you can glorify and honor God just by saying, by, by, with your sexuality, by saying yes, by saying no to what the world says and what you desire, and saying yes to what he desires. And it doesn't matter what your history has been, no matter where you've done or what you've done, that can happen at any moment in your life. We simply turn and say, yes, Jesus, I trust that what you say about my sexuality is what's best for me and that's what honors and glorifies you. So the ultimate, again, there are certain pragmatic reasons we can get into about this, but ultimately, it's an act of worship. And when I stood at the door frame of my girlfriend's bedroom, the thought that was going through my mind was, well, there are lots of thoughts going through my mind. I won't share most of them. <laughs> but the one thought was, what would, what would God think of this? What would, what? I, can, I couldn't stand before God knowing that I had made consciously a decision to know. And I knew, I had that conviction. And not everyone knows, like, not everyone's taught what Jesus says about, about sex. And, and in those moments, God calls us to, to say, well, hey, are we going to give in to what we desire? Are we going to submit and say, Lord, would you be praised and would you be worshipped? Because what we do with our sexuality is an act of worship. And listen, I know, it's not easy. And it's one of the reasons why God calls his people to persevere so much. But this is one of the areas that, that he keeps talking about. And it's so important for whatever reason... We don't think it's very important. In our, in our society, it's kind of just like, oh, yeah, whatever. But the, Jesus does not have a whatever approach to sexuality. And it's not a topic that I would often choose to talk about or something I'd want to, to say, hey, this is really important. But for whatever reason, in God's heart and in his mind, in the eyes of Jesus, this is a really important 
thing that we understand his perspective on. And so, if you've engaged in any kind of sexual practices that might not align with what, what Jesus uh, has in mind for us, the path back, as he says in the scripture, as he said earlier, is the path is to repentance. His call to Jezebel, and in many ways we are all Jezebel. We've all gone astray in our sexuality. We've all, we've all sinned. And Jesus says, if you just in your heart, if you've in your heart lusted over someone, that is the equivalent of adultery. And so none of us can claim to be more holy than someone else. And that's why condemnation of other people in the area of sexuality is completely ridiculous for a believer because all of us have, to whatever degree, sinned, sinned equally. We just turn our, our thoughts. First of all, we think differently about what God says about sexuality, and we confess. We, we begin walking, taking those next steps towards health and wholeness. And we do that in community with one another. And just a little note uh, Jess had talked about and Sloan mentioned it um, last week. I, that was a great announcement, the best announcement ever uh, about Transformation Weekend. It was running a little long, so I had to step up there. Uh, but Transformation Weekend is a great opportunity that's coming up to address some of these issues. Those are just some of the many, the myriad of issues that we all deal with in order to walk in health and wholeness. But this is certainly an issue that, that Jesus would, would want us to, to, to think about. Not to stuff down, not to deny, not to try to ignore, but just simply bring before the Lord. You know, I'll give you an example of what this looks like on a, just a miniature level for me, or has been. You know, when I feel like I'm tempted um, to think uh, about something I shouldn't, or um, like sexual temptation comes to mind or is presented to me, just in my thought life, I will, in that moment, I will... I don't try, like, there's one approach that I've tried along. I'm just going to not think about it, not think about it, not think about it. It's like saying, hey, guys, don't think, whatever you do right now, don't think about the pink elephant in the sitting, standing right here. Don't, guys, don't do it, but there's a pink elephant that I'm imagining, but don't, don't think about that. It doesn't really work effectively. In turn, instead, if we take what we are actually feeling and are honest to God about it and say, listen, here's what I'm thinking about. Could you give me your thoughts on that? I find it's, it's transformative. As we submit our God, we, as we, then that's part of what repentance means. It means to think differently and invite God into the thinking process. And this is how he calls us all, all to think with him. And as we do face all these kinds of pressures, uh, one of the things that we see is we may face persecution. It is hard. I remember walking actually through the college campus, uh, and there was this woman I was thinking about and wanted to date, and just how hard it was to not go further in my relationship with her. And I remember feeling like when I was younger, I guess all my hormones were going. It was like, I just, it was like physically painful to not try to, you know, do things. And it, but the Lord was like, listen, it's going to be okay. Just trust me. And I'm glad, um, I'm glad it did. But here we get, so as we finish up, it's important that we get, I'm going to read this next section. So as we do that, Jesus in its context says something uh, talks about, here's the consequences. Okay, so Revelations 2.22. He says, so, so he's talking about uh, Jezebel. Jezebel, he had given opportunity to repent, but she, he, he had just said she refused to do so. Okay, so he had given her, he was patient, he was having his word, kind of like what happened with Jezebel back in 1 Kings 16. But she says now, verse 22, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. 
I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. And that, I mean, that, that's some pretty strong language right there. I, I mean, that's what he said. You might not think, whoa, Jesus said that? There it is. Now, it might not be as shocking as, or you might be interpreting it a little bit differently than, than Jesus intends, but remember, in Revelation, he uses symbolic language. So when he talks about a bed of suffering, it's not an f- actual physical bed that he's going to take this woman or people, whoever rep- represented Jezebel. He's not gonna, it's not a physical bed. And th- the children aren't like actual children and babies. These are the followers. He kind of mentions that they're uh, those who commit adultery with her. So these are Jezebel and the followers. Basically, what's going to happen is there's going to be some kind of consequence. And it's not clear here whether it's death or some kind of suffering or sickness that happens, but there's some very, very real consequence that happens when we don't turn back to God in repentance. And ultimately, he's referring to what will happen uh, one day as we, as, as we enter into the, the next phase of eternity. What will happen is a very real consequence that, that is judgment day. That God is very patient and he calls us to repent, but there will be a day of judgment when he will examine, when he looks at what's in our hearts, he looks at what's in our minds and renders a judgment. And he calls us to repentance. That's what he calls us, to constantly turn back to him. And that's the call of Jesus. The heart of Jesus is a compassionate conviction to call people to the life that he desires for each and every one of us. And one day when we die, there's going to be a judgment day and we have continuous opportunity. See, God loves people. He loves Jezebel. God loved the Pharisees. God loves everyone. And particularly in this instance, he's calling them to the life that he desires. But one day, uh, God's patience will not be available for repentance. And so the constant call and the call for us is to repent, which means to think and act and align our desires with him. All right, so let's look at the last section here. So there's the group. He talks to the group, that particular group, which seems to be the majority. And then in verse 24, he says this. Now, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. That's interesting. And likely here, he's referring to the allure of sin. You know how sin, particularly sexual sin, it has this kind of allure to it. Like, Oh, there's these deep secrets that if I kind of engage in it, I can, I can uh, you know, experience some kind of pleasure. He says this, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on what you have until I come. And so Jesus' criticism, it's not for the whole church, but it is for a section of the church and what appears to be the largest section, but he's, he's calling his people, listen, keep persevering. This is, I know this is hard. I know it is unlike the messages that we get bombarded with every single day. For years, since we're 10 years old, perhaps, we have, um, we've been, in some ways, brainwashed. We've been programmed to think a certain way about sexuality. And Jesus says, well, here's my way. Think, consider, rethink what sexuality looks in light of the coming kingdom of God and in my convicted love, my convicted compassion for you. 
and turn to me. Turn back to me again. All of you who have gone astray, all of us who have gone our own way, turn to Jesus again and I will show you the way of life. And as we do, Jesus promises the reward. Okay, here's the last section. So here's the reward. To, one, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations, that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I has, have received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So there's two rewards we all get. The first here, as he, as he says, is that we get to share in judging the nations, that we are called as a royal priesthood in order to reign with Jesus when he comes again, those who have been faithful and persevere in their love for Jesus and have not compromised themselves to the ways of the world will in fact be invited to rule with him. I've said this before, but in everything that we do here on this earth is really training time for reigning time. We are training and God is testing and training each of us to live in such a way that aligns with his kingdom. And as God brings about his grace in our lives and as we align ourselves with him and, and he brings us our, his salvation into our lives here and now and in the future, that is training us for a future promise that we will be reigning with God. So I don't know what nations will get to reign or how that looks. I don't know if it's going to be in New Jersey. I don't know if it's going to be, I hope I get the Caribbean somewhere is what I'm hoping, but we will somehow be reigning with Jesus, the nations. And that to me is pretty exciting. So there's some actual reign and rule. And in fact, the image of heaven on earth and heaven going to heaven, it's not like we go to heaven. In fact, the image in Revelation is that heaven comes to earth and we reign with Jesus on the earth. Heaven and earth come together, which was God's plan in, in, since the beginning, and we will be reigning with Jesus, doing the things of Jesus in the earth and perhaps throughout the entire cosmos. This is the reward we, we get, and it's worth every last piece of suffering and every, every lack of compromise uh, in our in our in our day-to-day lives. And then the final thing he says here is we get the morning star. Does anyone know the morning star is? Revelation, say it again. Jesus. Did someone say Jesus? Guess what, you got it. Yeah, in Revelation twenty-two sixteen, the morning star, Jesus says of himself, I am the morning star. That ultimately the reward for living, why would we want to live differently? Why, why? It's easier, to it, again, it's so much easier just to go with what everyone else says. But in fact, the greatest reward that we have is Jesus himself, is that we get to walk with him and to talk with him, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And so Jesus gave his life and is revealed as the lamb, the sacrificial lamb, so that we could in fact be in relationship with him, which is better than any kind of relationship that we could ever have on this earth. And so in many ways, it's a question, the red pill and blue pill. Do you want me? Or do you want this other saucy stuff? It seems good at first, but ultimately does not lead to life. And so we, we choose and we, we reach out in faith or not as, we, as God gives us the freedom. We're all free to choose what we will, but we can't have both. So you can't have the kingdom without having Jesus as your king. And sex is part of what God calls us to follow him and be our king. And so you can say, 
Jesus, can you be the king of my sex life? And I'll try, I don't understand it. Maybe you don't understand it. Like I didn't, I didn't really understand what was going on when I was in high school. But I said, hey, I know your word says it, so I'm, I'm gonna do it. And so can we in faith just offer our lives to Jesus again? And let's do that now. And I'll just lead us in a prayer. Let's all in a prayer of repentance as you feel led. And then we're gonna take communion together as an act of worship. So Lord Jesus, talking about sexuality and, and sex and marriage, it's, it's hard today. I um, just want to be honest before you, Lord, before our, our church community and our friends and guests here today. It's, we live in a time that makes this very complicated. And many of us have had our own pains and difficulties in these areas. But in this moment, God, we, we give back to you our, our lives, our bodies, what we do with our physical bodies. And I pray that you would ignite faith and give us grace to resist temptation when it comes. Give us new vision to see what we do with our bodies and, our, and engage in our sexuality in light of the coming kingdom in light of something so much bigger than our own fulfilling our own, own desires, that there's desires that you have that are much better and greater than our own. And you can, if there is an area that you know that the Holy Spirit's identifying, and he's probably talked to you about it already, and you're aware, you can just say, I, I turn that area over to you again, Jesus. I turn my sexuality and the expression of my body in my mind, what I think about or what I fantasize about. I, I want to fantasize about you, Lord, and the greatness of, of the kingdom of God. So fill us, God. Fill us with a renewed sense of, of, uh, of vision for who you are and what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.